Hello, and welcome to our latest Human Givens Ask the Expert podcast. This one's on why having postnatal depression doesn't mean you're a bad parent. Our expert today is Sarah Shoesmith, who's recently qualified as a Human Givens practitioner. Now, Sarah has had a lifelong interest in mental health, but she now has a very personal motivation to help others achieve emotional wellness and avoid mental illness. After the birth of her daughter, Sarah suffered the terrifying experience of severe postnatal depression, which resulted in her being hospitalized. By seeking help with a human givens therapist, Sarah started to receive the support and guidance she needed, and thankfully, she made a full recovery. As a result of this, as well as now being a qualified HG therapist, Sarah spends her time actively promoting good emotional health through her Only Human website and Facebook page. And we're really very happy to have Sarah here with us today. Hi, Sarah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you really well. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join us as our expert today. And by the way, congratulations on qualifying as an HG practitioner. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Now, Sarah, I know you wrote uh, a wonderful piece in the Human Givens Journal for us a few, two or three years ago, I think. Um, Mm. But I, and I just thought before we go through the questions, perhaps you, would you mind telling us about your experience of postnatal depression? Yeah, of course. I'll try and keep it as uh, (laughs) as short as I can. Otherwise we'll be here all day. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So it started almost three years ago to the day actually and um, so tomorrow it will be three years since Aria was born my daughter so immediately after having her I felt very very odd and, and I knew that something wasn't right so I was of course exhausted as as you are after having you know going through the labor and having a baby my hormones were all over the place but it felt it felt more than that and I was already on my journey actually to become a human givens practitioner so I I was already quite aware of of what was going on in my head so I very quickly picked up on that and and it happened it just happened really quickly I became very very anxious and felt sort of immediately detached from not just Aria or as as I called her the baby um, but from my own body I felt detached from my own body and from reality as well So it's, yeah, to condense it really, within three days of having her, I went from being excited and prepared about the birth um, and obviously having a baby to completely numb. And then that kind of shifted to panic and then to being suicidal very quickly. So I, I also had elements of psychosis or postpartum psychosis as well, which, which exaggerated the symptoms of postnatal depression really for me so that was within three days and then by by day five I was in a secure women's psychiatric unit uh, whilst Aria was at home with my my partner and family wow and then how frightening that must have been gosh yeah it I've had to do a lot of writing about it to kind of you know process it all really um, yes. And then after 10 days, we went into a specialist mother and baby unit, which is where we stayed for around nine weeks. So many, you know, many of the symptoms for me kind of fit into lots of other car- categories because it wasn't just the postnatal depression. So I'll probably touch on that later on anyway in some of the questions. Oh, super. Well, thank you. Uh, gosh, that's such a story to go from, you know, I know having had three children myself that that wonderful almost euphoria of expecting your baby to go to 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 go to the depths that you've just described must have been absolutely terrifying it was Uh, yeah and I think probably very much so for those around me as well because they obviously saw that happen very quickly yes of course yes um thank you so much for telling us that Sarah uh, that very personal story um, I happened to mention this podcast to a friend this morning and uh, I hadn't known this about her at all, but she said that postnatal depression, well, as she described it, she said it took three years out of my life and wow. it cost me my marriage. Um, yeah. mm. But uh, that just sort of puts it into perspective 
as as well as as your story certainly does yeah it's yeah. still very you know there's not a lot known about it even now so yes. that's yes. why it's great it's great that you're doing this podcast about it as well brilliant yes well i'm delighted to be doing it uh, so let's on that note let's get going through the questions um yes. the first one being I suffer from mental health problems and I'm worried this will escalate after the birth of my child. Uh, is there a connection there I would put in there? Uh, uh, what can mm. I do to prepare for this and can you prevent postnatal depression? So that's a very big question to start with. Yeah, I think, well, to break it down, I don't, I don't think we can ever 100% prevent postnatal depression, um, unfortunately but we can definitely reduce our risk of developing it. So I don't want anyone to think that just because they've had mental health problems before, then that means they're definitely gonna get it because that's not the case. A lot of the time it's the opposite actually. And it's quite often people who've had no history of mental illness at all suddenly develop it after having a child, which is what happened with me. Yeah, so um, I suppose they're just not prepared. They they have no notion that that's something that's like that. That's it, happen. yeah. So I think there is, you know, it obviously carries some risk if you've, if you've had mental health problems before, but that also means that you will already have more support in place. So if you've, you know, if you've been kind of through the system, so to speak, you, you would already have referrals there to, ready to be made to see the right people if you if you've had a previous condition um, and also I would just encourage people in in terms of preparing just to talk whether it's to your partner or your family the GP you know ask to be referred because you've got the right to do that and a lot of people don't know that they have the right to be referred to a specialist midwife if they want to so somebody who specializes in maternal mental health or yeah. a lot of areas now actually have got new perinatal teams being developed so perinatal community teams and what that means is there'll be again there'll be specialist midwives or health visitors and all sorts of people you can go to see so just you know and just talk about it and, and is it something that is spoken about in you know antenatal classes and things is it does it it's yeah. i mean i i do ask a lot of people this question because for me it wasn't even mentioned at all in my antenatal classes so the only reason i knew about it is because my mother had suffered from it so there's a there's an argument with that you know in terms of did that increase my risk and, and is um, that has that been looked at at all statistically or uh... I believe that if if it's to do with psychosis, postpartum psychosis, that does carry a genetic risk, but the postnatal depression, it isn't. There isn't enough evidence to suggest that there is a direct link. So, yeah. it's it's something that I yeah I'm going to look into more because I find it obviously very interesting, and I want to know whether my sister's going to be affected and whether my daughter will then be affected uh, or so, at higher risk of being affected yes yes can you sarah can you just um uh differentiate for us postpartum psychosis from postnatal depression yeah um so the postnatal depression is generally more to do with the feelings of low mood and kind of it can often include intrusive thoughts but it's it's mainly characterized by severe low mood and um, just like any other kind of depression, whereas the postpartum psychosis is a psychotic episode or a series of psychotic episodes where you kind of lose touch with with reality. So there can be there's definitely lots of areas where they overlap. But does that kind of answer? Yes, it? absolutely. Yeah. So they're they're yes, as you say, they overlap, but they're quite distinct as well. Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah. So. Just to go back to that other question, sorry, because yes. it, it was yep. quite a broad question and yes. I want to make sure I answer all of it. So I think what's really important to try and do to, you know, to prevent as much as possible or to prepare is, is to try and, I know that we can't control everything, but try and reduce the potential of stress during pregnancy. So 
that's things like you know trying not to do too much if you've got a stressful job perhaps reducing hours and just kind of trying to reduce as much as possible any potential stresses so moving house is a huge stressor and I did that twice when I was pregnant um that is tempting isn't it you're suddenly pregnant you maybe want a bigger house or you want to decorate or there is that absolute nesting instinct that that makes you want to do crazy things like completely renovate a house yes yeah definitely and when I reflect on on my pregnancy there was definite things that were you know mistakes well I didn't know that at the time but obviously hindsight is a great thing and when you look back you can see there are lots of things that I did that may have affected affected my mental health yeah 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 so Moving on to question two, what are the signs of postnatal depression? You've sort of covered that, but maybe we could mm. uh, look at some signs there. Yeah, I mean, and, I've and got what, should, what should you do? Yes, I'm sure you have. And what should you do if you suspect someone else, perhaps a friend, has mm. postnatal depression? Okay. Um, so, yes, yeah, severe, severe low mood, any changes or sudden changes in personality. So, if because quite often some people can get quite manic as well with it. So, it's a bit more like bipolar in that respect. They can be very manic and seem to be doing everything and have lots of energy, but then get low mood with it as well. Uh, So a lot of these symptoms are similar to depression, things like appetite, loss of appetite or overeating, sleep problems. Um, And one of the main ones for me was, was having no bond with the baby or not, no desire to bond with the baby or look after the baby um withdrawing not wanting to talk to anybody having i had a lot of avoidance behaviors as well so i would be avoiding the things that i didn't want to do which was predominantly anything to do with aria so i'd be finding other things to do instead of looking after her things that weren't important at the time Yes. Um, so you kind of lose all sense of priority and don't don't look after yourself. Like I'd I'd have to be told to get dressed and have a shower and clean my teeth, otherwise I wouldn't do it. Those kinds of things. Um, and then there's obviously, I mean, the title of this podcast is great because there's an overwhelming belief that you are a bad mum or that you don't deserve to be here or or that your child is better off without you or would be better off without you. Gosh, so and that just compounds the the feeling of not wanting to bond or or is it not not being able to bond and, and not wanting to care for the child, I suppose, if you think you're bad and shouldn't be near the child. Yeah, it's just kind of double it's whammy, a self sabotaging it? yes. cycle. Yeah, and then yeah and like you say that just kind of contributes to the overwhelming kind of feeling of hopelessness um and a lot of what i had and i'm not sure entirely whether this was part of the psychosis or not but i had a lot of intrusive thoughts about harming aria more so than myself i it was i'd have these sudden intrusive thoughts and quite often i'd write them down or i'd tell somebody because i knew that it needed to get out somehow yes so presumably with with those you probably felt you shouldn't be near the baby if you mm. if you were having yeah, exactly. those uh, thoughts of harming yes gosh how scary yeah. mm. um, and because I knew that it wasn't my in my character at all and I'd you know I'd wanted this child for so long so, just... so yes yeah, so some part of your brain so you must have felt you had a sort of split brain there you had some part of your brain was saying no yeah. no this isn't me this this I wanted this child I love this child yeah and that's I think that was what was the most I felt the most hopeless to be in that place because I had part of my rational brain yet I couldn't I couldn't control it yeah. I was I was aware of it but I couldn't control it at that time mm. Mm. and I I'm guessing we should mention here that men as well as women can suffer from postnatal depression. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think it's more common, um, well, it's more common than we think, but quite often it can happen as a result of the partner becoming ill. So sometimes it, 
that's how it kind of manifests is that the partner will struggle with their partner being ill and then therefore they develop that as well I see what you mean. So if the mum, in effect, that whoever's given birth to the baby has become ill, yes, their, yeah. their partner, that, that can trigger depression in the partner. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've just realised that I've only answered the first part of the question, so I'm going to go back to my okay. notes here and, Please do. <laughs> and talk about what to do. So if you, if you are the person who thinks you might have it or, or it's somebody that you are close to, then... The main thing I would stress is just don't delay in asking for help because the sooner you get it, the sooner you can get better. So whether it's going to A&E, which is what we did because we didn't know what else to do, um, you could contact a crisis team, a perinatal community team, but just get support in whatever, whatever way you can because, like I say, that means that you can get a quicker recovery. Yes. Especially and if you're in a crisis then don't don't start you know googling what should i do about this and what should i do about that just pick up the phone to somebody and ask for help yeah because having heard from your story how quickly it can escalate then you yeah. really just need to get professional help as soon as possible definitely i mean if it's a milder form of postnatal depression you there's loads of online resources that are really really good um, and sort of support forums but that's more for maybe a bit further down the line or if it's not quite as severe yeah mm. okay. well there's a there's a question here that slightly takes us off the core of postnatal depression topic um, but I'm going to keep these questions in order otherwise I'll forget something yeah so the next one is how can we prepare for becoming a parent I think this is very relevant still okay because <laughs> <laughs> it's you know that's one of the ways that you can reduce your chances of being of developing it if you are prepared so yeah some of the the things that i've written down are things like lowering expectations i think that's key um being realistic because for some reason a lot of us have this very unrealistic or idealistic vision of what motherhood looks like or what being a parent looks like we compare ourselves to other people and think this is what it should be like or I should be doing it like them <laughs> so yes. so striving for perfection yeah. absolutely that's that was so harmful for me and and so that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about when I talk to other people is is to just you know it's it's not difficult to lower your expectations and tr be realistic but if people talked more about you know the bad stuff as well as the good stuff that comes with it then you would automatically be a bit more prepared because you'd have you'd have that more realistic vision yes. of it so um i think if you've particularly if you have had any problems before like we mentioned if you've had any past mental health issues or anyone in your family has then it's important to disclose that as early on as you can in in pregnancy or becoming pregnant so that you could potentially have that support put in place and um, keep yourself physically and mentally active so don't just stop doing everything because the baby's on the way <laughs> I think that's really important and just don't put don't put pressure on yourself to to know everything or be able to do everything because it's you know we don't learn everything from other people we don't learn everything in antenatal classes it's it's a journey that takes quite a long time and everyone's journey is so different so you can never be prepared for what's going to happen because every child is different too yes so even with subsequent children you don't necessarily know know everything and i think something i or we as a couple me and my partner didn't consider is is how it would change our relationship because regardless of whether you become ill or not your relationship with your partner will change when you become a parent and of that's course. something yeah. that needs to be considered and I was I was naive to that you know I didn't think about actually that would affect our needs you know it would affect yes. our needs differently and not being able to have that quality time together and all these kind of things 
And that's another thing that really ought to be in antenatal classes. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. And which actually puts us on to this next question. How can I make sure everyone's needs are being met? Baby, mum, dad, siblings, mm. uh, whoever else is involved. Yeah, well, I think if I'm being honest, I think the mum still has to be the priority or the new mum, should I say, because if she's not okay, then she can't look after the newborn properly and it will kind of have a, a ripple effect on everyone else. But it's really important for everyone to be aware of each other's needs. You know, maybe, maybe it's something to be discussed before the baby comes along to just if there is a child that's old enough to understand then to teach them about about needs and kind of you know prepare them about what it might be like and just to give each other privacy when when it's needed if possible <laughs> allow you know if there is another sibling then allow time to have one-to-one -one with that child so they don't get too jealous of the new baby and if you've got grandparents to come and help, then take advantage of it because then you and your partner might be able to have some time together and just kind of be supportive and respectful of each other because it's hard for everyone going through that transition, not just, you know, it's, it's really hard for everyone and I think it's quite easy to forget that. I know I am focusing more on, on the mum being ill, but I, I appreciate that it is a transition for everyone. So if you don't I think if you don't have help as well so if you if you don't have a partner or you don't have parents that can help out then then ask for help in other ways whether it's friends or you can you know there are organizations you can go to where you can get extra help from health visitors or or midwives and things like that yes I think that's very it's so crucial isn't it because we there's a sort of um pride in being able to do it all ourselves as mothers I think that yeah. really is misplaced because one one of the needs you know amongst the needs of other people is their need to feel useful and helpful um, yeah and it sure is going to help it's them so important. as well yeah. and I think if you know especially if you're if you're okay and your partner's okay then your baby's going to be okay so you've got to almost kind of reverse what we think we should be doing, which is looking after the baby first, but actually look after yourself first and everyone else will be okay. I like that. That's very well said. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, moving on to the next question. How long does postnatal depression last? Now I'm guessing that's a piece of string sort of. Response yeah. That's to that, my, but... <laughs> <laughs> my answer is how long is a piece of string? <laughs> yes. um, but it, yeah, it depends on many factors. So things like how how severe the depression is, how um, what type of postnatal depression it is, whether you've got psychosis as well or and other things. And also, it depends on how soon you get help. Because if you, um, like I did, get help very quickly at the beginning, that shortened my recovery time. Yeah. Whereas if you don't get the treatment early enough it can take a lot longer but it also depends on what kind of treatment you have because there's there's lots of different options out there mm. but I've put here that I wouldn't like to I wouldn't like to say exactly how long because if there's anyone listening to this right now who's in that place and I said it takes a year to get better they could be that could be very harmful for them so yes. and in fact for them it could be a lot less than that exactly so, yeah and it's, yes. it's just depends on the individual as an expectation yeah. yeah the circumstances and lots of different factors but mine for instance was I would say about 18 months before I felt completely okay so the recovery started at about 12 months but that was a very severe case with psychosis as well but I know people who've recovered in six months or even less than that depending on what support yes. they've had moving on to the next question can you get postnatal depression more than once unfortunately yes you can um it's not like a virus that we can become immune to <laughs> but there is 
there's an argument that if you've had it before, you're more likely to get it again. And then if you have it twice, you're more likely to get it a third time and so on. So I know somebody who's had right. it three times. So even with the awareness and the making plans and everything, you can, it, it can still kick in. It can, but then there's, there's the other side to that argument, which is that if you've had it once, like you say, you're, you're kind of empowered with the knowledge of what could happen. You, you know what to expect because you've had a newborn baby before. It's not quite so scary. Um, and then you would, you would definitely have support in place if you've had it before. Yes. So there's, yeah, there is so one argument that says, yes, you're more likely to get it again, but then also you've got more support. So even if you did get it again, it probably wouldn't be as bad yeah. because of that. Yeah. 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 And what should you do? And obviously this happened to you, Sarah. What, what mm. should you do if you feel detached from your baby? It's, it's a really difficult one, this. Um, but I think just to remember that you know, if you can be slightly rational, just remember that you are not a bad person and it's not, this isn't you, it's, it's the postnatal depression or the illness rather than, than you. It's not you, your kind of character. So I beat myself up about this a lot because I thought, well, this is me and I'm obviously, you know, there's something wrong with me if this is how I think, but just go easy on yourself and remember that it's not, it's not, um, permanent as well this is a, a temporary thing and you're just in that moment you're emotionally hijacked yes. so just take take baby steps every day and literally really small tasks until you feel more comfortable and grow in confidence so if if you've got that detachment with your baby then you're going to want to naturally avoid doing anything to do with the baby so I started by just you know, changing the odd nappy or more, more than I felt comfortable with, if that makes sense. And then I would, I would just yes. gradually increase my contact with her as my confidence increased. And, and again, just asking for help because there really is this specialized support out there for bonding issues with your child. If that's what, what you're suffering from. Yeah. Right. And, yes. and what somebody said to me, which it's interesting because I was adamant at the time that, that this wouldn't work for me, but she said, fake it till you make it. And I thought, okay, well, what's, yes. what's that all about? <laughs> but she was, she was referring to making eye contact with Aria, which I avoided completely um, and smiling at her. You know, she talked about the fact that Aria needed that from me, but obviously I didn't want to give that. So I had to force myself to do it. And I hated it, but the more I did it, the easier it became. Interesting, yes, because you know, a fake it, fake it till you make it is true of many uh, walks of life, and mm. when, when one's feeling depressed and things. So, yeah, interesting that that works uh, <laughs> in in bonding with your child as well. Mm. Yes. Because, of course, they're looking for eye contact and smiles, aren't they? So Yeah, uh, and it was yeah. actually after that that things started to shift because I realised I got more from her when I did that. So she was reciprocating and yeah. you were gaining from that. That's beautiful, mm. isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Now, Sarah, here's an interesting one. Can you have postnatal depression when your child has grown up or is it an instant disconnection after, uh, after birth? I think again this this one depends on on really the type and the severity but generally it develops within the first few weeks or the first one to two months that's the kind of average but it can be up to 12 months so some people can be absolutely fine until their child's first birthday and then all of a sudden Gosh. it can it can um, arrive then but it's generally not yeah. not after that time yeah that must really catch people off guard if, if you know everything's yeah. gone fine for the first year and then this happens that must be mm. very difficult to deal with yeah yeah and I think I know that with postpartum psychosis it's it's different because it's usually much much quicker so it's a matter of days or or hours generally 
I mean, it can be weeks, but it's usually a lot, a lot quicker. Yeah. And some people actually develop depression whilst they're pregnant. So that's something called antenatal depression, which they can get before the baby's born. Gosh, I hadn't heard of that. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Which presumably manifests in the usual ways that depression does. Yeah. But then that can just get worse once the baby's born. Right. Especially if it hasn't been noticed or caught during pregnancy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, here's a question from a spouse. Uh, how should I approach my wife's postnatal depression and what can I do to help? I think the spouse has the, the most difficult job, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there is, yeah, there is a lot that they can do, but just it is such a hard job being, being that person because you have to be their hope because they will have none. So you have to be their hope that, that they will get better. You have to keep believing that. Um, and just remember that it is temporary. She will get better. Or he, in this case, yes, she will get better. So offer to help if she wants it, but also don't offer too much. Like you mentioned before, it's really important that she doesn't feel useless or hopeless, like she can't do anything because that's just going to increase her frustration. Yes. So don't entirely take over. Yeah, it's got to be a very yeah. fine balance of of helping but not too much and I think well I know from my experience what would really help is keeping on top of things like cleaning and laundry so that she doesn't have to think about it yes cooking meals or asking other you know asking family to cook meals if if you can't um and just allowing her or offering her the opportunity to rest when she needs it to sleep or rest because yeah. that's so important and that's what what you know every new mum lacks is is that yeah. rest but absolutely but be patient and just and listen listen to what she's saying she needs rather than focusing on on how she feels just try and pick out what she actually saying that she needs from that and yeah. and that would be really really useful I think but also just to, to remember to not and I'm sure, no, I'm sure most spouses wouldn't do this, but to try not to be judgmental in terms of, yeah, try not to comment on any parenting and say, oh, oh, I wouldn't have done it like that or we should be doing it like this because that's something that would, you know, would really, really make her feel a lot worse. Yes, so, so really you want positive, uh, the wife in this case wants positive support but not yeah just kind of kind of gentle reinforcement yes. or encouragement yeah. rather than any constructive criticism which might mean well but be quite harmful mm. yeah and, and is there professional help for the spouse or the family of someone who's got postnatal depression i think this might depend on where you are in the country unfortunately i don't know if it's everywhere um but for instance near us there's a charity we live in the Midlands and there's a charity where my partner was able to go and talk to a befriender. So a male befriender where he, he had been through a similar situation. Um, but I, th I think widely there isn't that much support for, for the men other than, you know, going to find a counselor themselves, unfortunately. Yes. Yes. Which, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which, which we did do anyway together. And he, he had some, separately as well but one of the things I was going to mention actually is to keep if you are the partner whose wife is suffering to keep your own needs met as much as possible as well or keep at least keep them in mind so that you can stay strong for her of course yep that's the old have your own oxygen mask on first scenario isn't it Otherwise, yeah uh... and it's funny because I remember my partner doing this when I was in hospital at one point and he there was one day out of the nine weeks that I was there when he didn't visit me he went to play golf and I was so angry <laughs> and upset <laughs> but but I know that he he had to do it he had to yes he had yes. to do it for him so as much as you might feel guilty about doing that just go and do it because and this okay. again is when a white the the more people you have to help in your family or close knit 
friends or whatever is the better because mm. if you're just relying on one person they also can uh, uh, need to get their needs met yes yeah absolutely yeah yeah uh, Sarah how I think you said uh, your daughter's three tomorrow is that right yeah yes yes and so can you give us a catch up what you you said really it took 18 months to feel recovered how are you doing now and how's your relationship with your daughter yeah I mean it's I can't actually believe that we are where we are if I think about where you know where we were two even two years ago but especially three years ago I didn't think that I was gonna survive two weeks with with her and now she's yeah, now she'll be three. So we're very, we're very close now. And oh, it doesn't seem to have affected her touch wood. You know, she's, she's a very happy and intelligent little girl. She's very sociable. And, and yeah, and now I'm, I'm doing kind of, I'm trying to share my experience through my social media and through things like this. I do a lot of speaking events Yes. And I just can't quite believe that I'm the same person, you know, having gone through that and then finishing my qualification. Now I'm actually helping other people and then showing them how to get through it as well. So it's, That's yeah, fantastic, it's amazing. It? Yes. Tell, tell, tell us a bit about how your human givens therapist helped you. Were there specific things that he or she, uh, yeah. ways in which they helped? I think the main thing well, I know the main thing she did and was there for was to lower my emotional arousal. So I was so, so highly anxious about absolutely everything. So I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, and I was just, was just a mess, really. And, and so what she did is gradually lowered my emotional arousal. She taught me about mindfulness and meditation and we did we did a rewind technique actually on the pretty much from the moment that Aria was born up to that that present moment, which I can't remember how long that was, but it was it was probably a few months at that point. And then we also did some couples therapy together with her after I had some sessions on my own. Oh, that's because we felt yeah. that it was it was really affecting our relationship so we actually did some sessions together with her which I found so beneficial and then I think it was after that that we did that my partner went on to have some on his own as well so I, pro I had quite a few overall and then had a bit of a gap and then came back to it about a year later just to kind of top up when I yes. started feeling <laughs> that it was getting a bit overwhelming again and um yeah the just the tools that obviously that we can teach in human givens are so practical and that's what helped because i just needed somebody to tell me what to do really yes that's yes. what i felt i just wanted somebody to say okay do this and do this and that's going to help and we actually i remember us doing 7-eleven breathing all three of us together. So Aria was probably two, three months old and I was holding her doing 7-Eleven breathing, which uh, calmed her down as well and stopped her crying because I was calming down. <laughs> you were going through your human Gevin's therapy training as well. So that just as you learned more about the human Gevin's approach, that must have helped. Yeah, it helped massively because I was learning so much about, about the brain and all the practical things I was learning within that training, I was able to apply myself. And it, it was a massive part of my recovery because it gave me purpose again. I felt like, you know, when you first become a mother, you, well, I certainly lost my identity. I didn't know who I was. But by doing that, I was starting to get a bit of that back again. So I was getting much more of my needs met through through doing that training and it was it was really important for me to do something that was was outside of just being a mummy and looking after after her <laughs> now uh our penultimate question what should and shouldn't you say to someone suffering from postnatal depression there's some definite things that i remember that i heard that were the wrong thing 
for sure. So things like uh, man up, get on with it. Uh, you're fine. Stop being emotional or overreacting. So obviously these are the things that we should not be saying. <laughs> yes. um, don't make assumptions. Don't be patronizing and don't comment on parenting skills ever. So those are my shouldn'ts. Yeah. And the should is, and I think I did mention this already actually, is what, what do you need right now or what would help you feel better right now? Yeah. It might be a hug. You know, it might be so simple. This is, this is temporary. I'm here for you if you need me, but if you don't, I'm still here. Take your time and do what you need to do to get better. And just, just use encouraging language and kind of congratulate the small things, but not in a patronizing way. I can remember, I didn't, I uh, was very lucky to not suffer postnatal depression, but I can remember, mm. I did have a cesarean section and I can mm. remember people dropping in for cups of tea and I was, in my head, I was thinking, please, can you just wash, wash the kitchen floor? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't got the energy to put the kettle on. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so the thing, very practical things sometimes can just, yeah, it could be hugely be, helpful. Like you say, it could be just go and, you know, make, can you just go and cook me dinner yeah. or go and do one round of laundry? Yes. So easy. Yeah. Now, Sarah, we've mentioned different types of postnatal depression, but uh, we've mentioned postpartum psychosis. But are, mm. I'm, I think there are probably other uh, sub-definitions as well. And yeah. And they kind of, I'm not sure entirely whether they are, would be classed as different types of postnatal depression, but they're all, you know, illnesses that can surround becoming a mother or the whole perinatal period. So perinatal actually means around i think so it can be before and after yes yeah so a lot of some of the terms have perinatal in them some have postnatal some have antenatal but they're all around that time so there's there's something called perinatal ocd which mm. generally is is more to do with intrusive thoughts so it can be a lot of people have um a sort of health anxiety around their child so they're convinced that their child is going to die or that something's wrong with it that can be part of perinatal OCD and yep. there's there's a lot of rituals that you can or that can develop so I certainly had that in terms of I was obsessed with doing laundry rather than looking after Aria so that was one of my rituals is I had to just constantly be doing laundry everything had to be or spotless. writing lists yes Yes. always writing lists um, antenatal depression I touched on is is ca what can develop during pregnancy um so that's something to be you know to look out for because that can develop into postnatal depression yeah. perinatal anxiety is very similar to, to perinatal OCD really it's you know some people can just have that isolated on its own without any depression they can just have the anxiety and then obviously postpartum psychosis is can can be anything from you know having sort of delusions hallucinations you can be hearing things see you can believe that somebody on the tv is talking to you you can have spiritual beliefs and all sorts of things can be part of that so all, all the same symptoms as psychosis in general, yeah. as in other words. Yeah. yeah. And, and then obviously the danger is that that person is not safe either to themselves or to the, to the baby, because generally when there are, there are deaths or suicides around the postnatal period, it's, it's to do with psychosis. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't really like labels, I don't really do them <laughs> in general, no. but when I've looked into these different types, I would say I had ailments of all of them, but I was diagnosed with postnatal depression. But I know for a fact that I had psychosis. I know that I had lots of the other things, but it's just, it's a perception. And I think one, one point that I really wanted to mention as well is that, is that baby blues is not postnatal depression. 
there's some right. people have a yes. perception that baby blues is is like a mild form of pnd but baby blues is is the hormonal you know shift that happens when you've had had your baby and it it will never last longer than two weeks baby blues if it's if it's more than two weeks then it's something else yeah so that's just the sort of spontaneously bursting into tears yeah uh, type of symptoms and yeah and actually I almost forgot to mention that some people can have postnatal depression but appear absolutely fine so they can be um like functioning perfectly well but they they could have a mild form of, of postnatal depression and even some people with postpartum psychosis can appear fine because they're in a manic phase when they they've got it all together and they're doing everything with the child but they're just you know on the inside there's a lot going on yeah 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 so that's the the question about how do we know if a friend's perhaps depressed or psychotic that's a very key point isn't it the, the symptoms might not be obvious but if you know the person you're probably yeah. going to notice that something's a bit odd. Yeah, if it's definitely. just that they're manically doing everything. And if they are, if they are quite manic and sort of high functioning, then it's worth thinking about: Are they getting any sleep? Because if they're not, then there's definitely something wrong. Yes, so and that's always got a the very, inability to sleep. That's a very key question to ask, isn't it? How are you sleeping? Mm. To anybody? Yeah. Yeah, and I know that what's happening now is is that um well the government are trying to bring in a new check for for new mums so after we've had a baby we have a six-week checkup for for us which is kind of very basic isn't it it's just yes oh um have your stitches healed okay is the baby breastfeeding or bottle feeding that's generally all that they will ask yeah but but what they're trying to bring in now which i've been part of campaigning for is that we'll have a separate check for mums where they will have 15 minutes with a doctor to talk about how they really are or how they're feeling that's excellent it could be in that 15 minutes that something gets picked up and they get referred to somebody which would be amazing i think that's absolutely brilliant because that's it's very easy to hide things and if you're only having to ask questions about the baby and yeah, and if the doctor the doctors yeah. aren't trained to ask those, yeah. you know, those questions yeah. to say yeah. actually how are you, you know, like you said, how are you sleeping? How are you emotionally? If they ask those questions, then a lot of you know, they they could be a very different outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, Sarah, that's the end of our questions. Uh, but is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't managed to cover? Um, I would love to mention a book that I'm going to be in because it is very personal to this, you know, this topic. And there's a, there's a book that I'm part of, which is going to be 12, I think there's 12 of us all together um, who are all, have all written our own short stories about something that we've been through. So this is going to be in there, my, my story of postnatal depression. Um, and it's coming out very soon. So it's halfway through being proofread at the moment. So it might be quite soon and it's it's going to be called courage and it's about stories of darkness to light so everyone's got a very different story and um all the proceeds of the book are going to go to the samaritans charity as well that's really lovely super well perhaps once it is published you could let us know and we could put it as a link with yeah actually that would be useful and the and the other thing i wanted to just mention is i want to and I want other people to just continue raising awareness about this subject. So the way that I'm doing it is through speaking at events and through doing workshops for mums. I'm hoping to put on a retreat for mums next year, which is my next goal. And um, I think that's, that would be amazing. Something that's yeah. very needed. <laughs> yes. Oh, how fantastic. Yeah. Well, given that it's, it's not so many decades ago that, uh, women were really just locked up for the rest of their lives with postnatal depression and psychotic Mm. events. Yeah. Uh, I think we have made great strides, but there's still a lot of work to be done, isn't there? in raising awareness. 
Yeah, definitely. I know certainly with my antenatal classes, nothing like this was mentioned at all. It was, it, it no. was almost as if in the mentioning of it, you might, you know, give someone the idea. Yeah. Which is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I mean, I, I'm surprised upbeat. even that my mum had, you know, had good treatment when she had it three, 33 years ago. Yeah. You know, it was very unheard of then, but she actually got some really good treatment then. She was lucky. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, um, no, for talking you. about your experience. Thank you. It's been a really interesting conversation, and I'm sure people will be inspired by your story. Thank you for telling us such a personal story and certainly inspired by the work you're doing now. Um, it's called Only Human Therapy. Is that what you're call calling it, Sarah? It is, yes. So yeah, on, so you... Most people find me on Facebook. Um, my Facebook page is Only Human Therapy. And then my I've got a group on Facebook as well, which is called Only Human. Lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm so happy you found a human given therapist yourself and they were able to help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to anyone listening, that might be a, a useful route. Um, it's fantastic. You're now a human given therapist yourself. And uh, again, I'm, we, we as a team are delighted to have you as part of, uh, on our team. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, now to any listeners, if you'd like to find your nearest human given therapist, search for the human Givens Institute therapist register so that's on www.hgi.org.uk that's the website and then find the register within that and within that you there's a good search engine you can search uh, to find your nearest hg therapist or to find therapists with different specialty areas we do hope you've enjoyed this ask the expert podcast and if you have please do share it with anyone you think might find it helpful or useful Thanks for listening. We hope you have a good day. Bye for now.